Good morning. If you're at the back, do you want to come and join us? We're a chatty bunch this morning. It's good. It's nice to hear you all chatting. We've relaxed. Um, if you haven't been in with us at Youth Culture yet this week, uh, my name is Bex. I, um, in my spare time, run a, started and run a youth group up in Leeds, um, and they are all on site. Um, some of them greeted you at the door. Yes, they want they want to wave. Can you wave at them? They th they've made it <laughs> to the door with the bags. I hope you've got your bags. Um, it's just a free gift from us at TLG. I also work for a Christian charity called TLG, Transforming Lives for Good. Um, we help um, we help the church. Uh, support uh, struggling children and families all across the UK. Uh, we bring hope and a future that, to them through uh, three programs that we run. We support uh, 250 or more churches to do that. Um, our three programs are uh, Early Intervention, Make Lunch, and uh, education centres. Um, our early intervention and make lunch are all supporter-led, uh, volunteer-led from churches. Um, it, early intervention is one coach, one hour uh, uh, for uh, once a week. And our make lunch is to fill the holiday hunger gap that many of the families across our nations are struggling with. Um, people that are on free school me meals, um, they are welcomed into the local church and churches provide hot meals and often activities for them. Um, and it really is transforming lives um, in our local communities. We also run education centres. Um, they are alternative provision schools um, based in churches. So we partner solely with churches and we... Um, start schools basically <laughs> it sounds quite a big task it is a bit of a big task but basically a church will come to us and they will say we'd love to start a school and we work with them and it takes about a year to set that up um, but yeah the school is um, based in the church um, so if you know of a, 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 a church in your area or if you have a church and that you go to and you think, oh, yeah, we've got a couple of rooms spare, do talk to us afterwards if God is nudging you in that direction. Um, yeah, I think that's all I will say because otherwise I will say everything that Libby will say any minute now. Say again. Oh, yes, let's click. So... Um, this is our strap line, I've just said, Hope in a Future, Struggling Children and uh, Young People. Let's have a little look at this. Um, it just explains what we do here at TLG. Okay. So hopefully you've got an idea about who we are and what we do. Um, I'm going to invite uh, the wonderful Jack Robson up. Um, Jack is um, a member of TLG. Uh, where are you going, Jack? There you go. Just introduce yourself, will you? Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jack Robson. I worked, used to work for TLG Holds, an education centre based in Hull, um, which, as Bex described, is an alternative provision for kids that don't work in mainstream schools. Um, I'm now currently the Education Systems, Systems Administrator, so I do all the passwords now. That's my job. We can't do our work without him, I tell you. Uh, <laughs> okay, so thank you so much for being here, Jack. Jack's also on site with his youth group. Um, and are they anywhere? Uh, uh, have you got any fa fans here? <laughs> Fellow youth leaders, yay! Great, welcome. Um, so, Jack, um, can you explain how um, an education centre is different to mainstream school for us? Um, so, some of you might be familiar with the word alternative provision. Um, if a kid doesn't work in a mainstream setting for whatever reason, they find uh, placements in other schools that can deal with their behavioural issues or just to help them with education stuff, 
And that's what we do at TLG. Um, we've got education centres all over the country, and our aim is to kind of work with behaviour. We want to see these kids excel in an in a education setting, and so far that's not worked out for them. So our job is just to come alongside them, find out what the triggers are, what they struggle with in terms of secondary school, primary school, wherever they're at. And our job is to kind of slowly win them around to the idea of learning again. And through that, hopefully get them back into mainstream school. Amazing. Um, could you describe a little bit about what your role was as a TLG, uh, TA? Yes. So you think school, you think teacher. Um, but it encompasses lots of different roles. I was a youth worker beforehand, before I became a TA. Uh, and whilst I helped teach PSHE, doing citizenship and you know global um, activism, stuff like that, looking at uh, Black Lives Matter and talking about all those issues, I was also a youth worker. I'd spent time with them engaging, building relationships, spending time getting to know them and who they are, being professionally curious. You guys might have heard that. Just asking questions about their lives so I can get more information about how they're doing. Uh, on top of all of that, I was safeguarding, I was doing breakfasts, I was doing all these kind of extra things that always go unspoken, but it's about spending life with these young people. Day to day, I was their person who created a safe barrier for them to process whatever was going on in their lives. Can you tell us what uh, the most important aspect of your role was? Um, it's, it's always a personal one, but certainly for a lot of the people, it's relationship. So these kids have been let down by secondary schools. Their circumstances have meant that they've struggled in that setting. And often the most important thing is just to build relationship. Spend time getting to know these kids inside and out. You guys know that the importance of youth work is if they don't know who you are and you don't know them, you're doing nothing. So it's about spending time digging in, asking those questions that, what are you doing on the weekend? Who's that member of your family? Tell me how you feel about this. What's your opinion on milk? You know, it's about asking those questions that find out more about them and their memories so that you can then inform what goes forward. You're never going to change their behavior and their attitude towards secondary school if you don't know who they are and why they hate it. Great. Um, we, I love a story. Could you share a story or an example of how you've uh, seen a, TL, a TLG education center make a difference in a child's life? Um, so I've helped out a bunch of TLG education centers, but I was based mostly in Hull. There's one lad who I'm going to call Benjamin and forget that that's his, not his real name, so bear with me. But uh, Benjamin uh, didn't have a crazy home life, but he was just in with the wrong crowds, was looking at drugs as an answer to life, um, but had shown inklings that he had a, a, an, a, an aspiration for more, namely he wanted to be a fireman, um, and just thought he would just apply and rock up and see what happens. Um, we quickly told him that's not how this world works. Um, but we helped him to start steps in his process. So it wasn't about necessarily dealing with his behavior issues. It was about teaching him to build and to set foundations for what he wanted to build for his future. So we looked at um, what would he need to be a fireman. He needs basic maths. He needs basic English to understand and, and learn the coursework he needs there. It was about improving stamina. So we did strength training as part of our PE lessons. And all these little things, again, tailored through relationship meant that he could start to build an idea of what he needed to do to achieve what he felt was life for him in the future. And through that, we built a fantastic relationship where he now feels able to share with staff members where before he thought teachers were rubbish. There we go. Amazing. Can you give Jack a round of applause? He's done, been doing some great work with the kids. Thanks, Jack. Um, I'd love to introduce you to Livy Gibbs. Livy um, has been about at New Day for a number of years. I'm just going to say that. Every single one, goodness me. And Livy, <laughs> um, Livy um, also works for TLG um, as a regional leader. She looks after our coordinators in churches. And um, yeah, I'm going to hand it over the mic for the rest of the session.
Thank you, Bex. Really good to be with you guys. Normally when I'm at New Day, I don't have to wear a branded t-shirt because I just get to wear my own clothes. But today, um, I'm here speaking on behalf of TLG and sharing with you this whole subject of why being trauma-informed really matters. You've heard a little bit about who we are as a charity and what we do. Um, education centres are our um, response, I suppose, um, starting 20 years ago to the crisis or that young people face in education when things don't work well for them. And there's this great quote here that's attributed to William Booth, though I'm not sure if it was exactly him that said it, that says this, the church should be an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff caring for the injured. And it should be the fence at the top preventing more damage being done. And so part of what we want to do in churches, all of us, is to be there with those who are most broken, most injured, most damaged by life, who have effectively experienced what is like a cliff fall. But we also want to make sure that we are intervening in young people's lives at the top of the cliff, providing a fence and enabling them to not actually take that tumble in the first place. And that's really where the early intervention and the Mate Lunch program come from um, at heart, that we would be involved in coaching young people in primary school. So early intervention is aimed particularly at working with children between the ages of 8 and 14, so the second half of primary, first half of secondary school, um, and spending consistent time journeying with them to help intervene in their lives at an early stage. And Mate Lunch is also about supporting the whole family to intervene and to put structures in place and relationships and community and provision like Hot Meals um, to really enable a family to not end up feeling like they've all dropped off the end of a cliff and are needing ambulance care. Everything we do at TLG is underpinned by an emphasis on therapeutic support, which is why we're here today delivering this seminar for New Day, because we understand how important it is that the church is equipped to be able to support people therapeutically. And so what you're going to hear from me this morning is going to be a combination of biblical teaching and practical training on therapeutic approaches to trauma and understanding trauma. Um, so as a charity, we offer loads of online training and we have loads of resources that you can access from our website, from our shop, but also the training online is all free that will help you to put into place therapeutic support for young people in your youth work, um, whether you're doing that in a one-to-one -one setting or whether you're doing that in a group work. So I really want to encourage you to come and chat to us here at the end or come find us in the depot this afternoon or tomorrow to find out what resources we've got that you can access for free that will really support your church. Life before oh, TLG. It clicked really quickly. Right, we're going to ship back. I want to show you um, the impact of what happens when a church engages therapeutically with a family in the community. And this is taken from a couple of years ago in southwest England. So let's go back and watch this video. Life before TLG involved um, a lot of heartache because my husband had been very ill and the children needed a lot of help that I just wasn't able to give them. Both my children had a trauma diagnosis, which meant they couldn't concentrate, they lacked focus. As a mum, you want to do right by your kids, but I also had a husband that needed me all the time. So I, I feel guilt for not being around the children, or I feel guilt because I wasn't where my husband needed me. There was this huge burden of responsibility all the time because I couldn't be everything to everybody. I started coaching when my dad died. Before the coaching with TLG started, I always used to be really stressed because of schoolwork and I didn't really have many friends so I would just play alone most of the time. Well, I would just go and sit by this board where everyone would play and I'd just watch everyone else play and just think about things. 
it was really hard so I just felt all alone and I used to crawl up in a little ball under my bed and just hide. Watching your kids go through that and knowing you can't do anything to help them is rubbish. But we got there. My name's Helen Shadbolt and I was an early intervention coach for Sophie. And then when Helen was there I always had someone to play with. It was actually quite exciting and it felt like I finally had someone there for me. I found school really hard and she used to come and take me out of class and we'd do stuff that I liked to do. And it would make that part of school loads easier for me. It was just like a huge relief. And it wasn't so hard for me anymore. She was just a bundle of joy and happiness and she was so pleased just to meet me and the feeling was mutual. You're really thriving now at school, aren't you? Yeah. You're doing so well. I used to be behind, but now I've caught up. You were like someone who was always there for me and you are like a best friend. So the boxes of hope started arriving during um, the first COVID lockdown. I have health issues, which meant that I was actually isolating for the best part of 15 months. And the boxes of hope were more than just the food that were being delivered. It was a friendly face every week, somebody that I could chat to. I was locked up with two kids. It was hard work being a mum. It was hard work being a teacher. And it was really hard carrying all of that whilst also having health issues myself. It's been a, a real link where we've connected well with the community in so many different ways. Where we've sort of reached families that maybe we wouldn't have reached in other ways. People have actually stepped up and just been amazing as coaches and for make lunch. It's just been great. So I was very grateful for just the level of support that they did give because they, not only were they supporting the kids, but by supporting the kids, I was being supported. And slowly and surely, I've got both my kids back again now. There are certain things come into our lives and they're God-given. And I knew that TLG was there and had been given to us. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I've watched that video upwards of 20 times, and every time it gets me. And one of the reasons it gets me is not Hi, just... TLG. Oh, sorry, Sophie and Ellis dropped you off there. One of the reasons it really gets me is not just because of the impact on that one particular family, but the beautiful vision of the church that you see there, just stepping in sensitively, understanding trauma, understanding what that family needs being able to provide it in really practical ways, like having a volunteer go into school every week for a year to work with Sophie and to work with Ellis and to basically journey with them through their grief and their struggle, but then also to fill their cupboards every, every week in lockdown, which is obviously a massive need for their family and to provide contact at the door, relationship, connection. And you can just really see a living demonstration of God's people being good news 
And that's what we want to make sure that we are doing all the time in our church, isn't it? Is responding to what is in the world around us and being his good news. And so my aim this morning is to help you, equip you to really understand why being trauma-informed matters when you're thinking about the church of Jesus Christ being good news to people. And um, I want to just start with a bit of a disclaimer. I'm not an expert on trauma. I don't have um, a degree in it. I'm not, uh, and I don't have professional qualifications. I do deliver training like this um, to all of our volunteers in TLG. But what I also am is I'm a foster carer. And so I've spent the last five years myself understanding trauma as I care for children in my home and family. And I, I know that this subject needs to be handled with real sensitivity. Um, when we're talking about emotional well-being and mental health, when we're talking about trauma, when we're looking at the impact of it on our lives and when we're actually lifting the lid and naming some of it, that can be really triggering for us. And um, I, so I want to say that at the outset because it may be that things get touched on this morning, just in the next half hour, that for you are actually quite triggering. And I want to make sure that you feel safe to process that, that you've got somewhere that you can take that to talk about with someone or get some time. But also, I just want to mention the intensity of the context that you're in. So we're at New Day, as you all know. We're on day four. Like, hands up if anyone feels like they have slept well. <laughs> no. And everybody is carrying the emotional weight of young people and themselves and the heat and lack of sleep and socializing and having no personal space. And those are all, like, not very conducive factors to helping you when we touch on deep subjects. So right from the outset, I just want to say we're going to take this really gently and we're going to have some time for reflection um, during our time together. But I just want us to start in Scripture so that we start with God and the hope that he brings. So we're going to look at Psalm 23 and I'd love us to actually just read it out loud all together from the screen. Um, If you can't see it because you're right at the back and you haven't yet memorized this passage, why not? It's like one of the best passages in the Bible. No, I'm joking. Um, But we'll just read it together. And if you want to grab it on your phone, this is in the new NIV version. So um, let's read this from now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is like God's therapy to us. It's like scriptures profound, like eternal revelation of what therapy is. This is God, our shepherd, our kind shepherd, our loving father. And I want to encourage you to use scripture for the best therapeutic approach in everything that you do. We don't want to end up feeling like therapy belongs in the secular world and spirituality belongs to the church. Therapy comes from God. It's God's design. And you can see that in this psalm. And Being trauma-informed means understanding our need for therapy. It means understanding that we need a shepherd, that every single one of us is like a sheep 
that needs to be shepherded, that needs to be led. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter what kind of experiences in life we've had. It doesn't matter whether we're male or female, whether we've been a Christian for ages or we're new to Christ or even we're not yet following Jesus. We need to be looked after. We need to be nourished. We need to be nurtured. We need to be taken to green pastures to lie down and we need to be led to still waters. And being trauma-informed means that you understand that for some young people and for some of us, that need is felt really, really keenly in daily life. It means understanding that at times life has felt like you're in the valley, that you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And being trauma-informed means understanding that the help and comfort that young people are going to need is going to come from his rod and his staff And it's going to come from all the shepherds that he puts into their lives, which is us. Being trauma-informed means we understand that there will be times when the last line of this passage, we don't feel like we're experiencing. We don't feel like goodness and mercy are following us. Actually, what we're walking through is heartache and brokenness and grief and darkness and confusion and loss. And right in that moment, we feel like life is full of hostility and opposition, difficulty, maybe cruelty, injustice. And being trauma-informed means you can understand that God's word has something to say to you in the valley, has something to say to us while we're in the presence of our enemies, that there is a table set for us, that there is a cup that he has promised to fill, that there is an anointing of oil for our heads, even when we're in the presence of our enemies, even when we're in the valley, he's there with us. We need to understand that when we're thinking about what does it mean to be trauma-informed in our Christian ministries. And we can see in this psalm a picture of actually what the whole Bible promises. And the whole Bible echoes this theme of God being a shepherd who comes for lost sheep. It's been touched on already this week in some of the preaching in the evenings. It's touched on a lot in, in our kind of pastoral care systems in church life. We understand the metaphor of God, our loving father, our kind shepherd who comes to us. And we know that Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for the sheep. And we need to hold on to that when we're understanding how we respond to young people's trauma and how we look after them and how we pass them and how we lead them through. That Jesus has promised at his own expense that he will lead us in paths of righteousness. That he will lay lay us down in green pastures and take us to still waters at his own cost. That he will comfort us. That he will walk the valley of the shadow of death for us in order that when we are then in it, he is right there with us. So this psalm reminds us that God understands therapy. He understands therapeutic approaches. He designed them, and they're caught up in who he is in his nature. I recently heard um, a social worker say something to me about a child who had suffered um, really, really traumatic experiences early in his life. And she said this. She said, you've got to be realistic, Livy." This child is never going to be able to recover from the trauma they've experienced. They're just going to have to find ways of living with it. And our job as social workers and foster carers and health professionals is to help them find those coping strategies. And when I heard that, I just thought, that's incredibly bleak. I felt a real kind of jarring in my spirit, like, oh, that feels so hopeless. Is that really... What I need to understand about trauma, that there is no recovery, that there's just coping mechanisms, there's just things you can put in place to make life a bit more palatable, 
a bit easier. Now, as a foster carer, that's really close to my heart because some of the children that come into our home have suffered intense trauma, totally not at their own doing. And it almost felt like this, this verdict was saying, that's it, their future is set. They've already been damaged. They're damaged goods. All you can do now is find enough packing tape and plasters to wrap them up and hold them together. And I just felt like, as a Christian, I heard that and I thought, no, that cannot sit. That doesn't sit right with me when I think about the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And it's so important for us when we approach the subject of trauma and we understand the complexity of it because it is very complex and the way that it impacts on our brains, the neuroscience behind it, the way that it affects our relationships, the way that it affects attachment, the way that it affects sensory experiences, the way that trauma affects our, our, our understanding of ourself, our self-worth, our impression to others, our communication, all these different things, very complex, but it's so important that we don't lose sight of what the gospel promises It's so important that we approach it with a biblical mandate in our minds, a framework that says, hang on, how has God revealed himself in scripture? And what is the hope we have as Christians when we are considering being trauma-informed? And you won't hear this if you you go into some kind of secular training. You won't hear from a, a secular point of view, you won't hear the same hope of recovery that you will hear as you approach the scriptures. The question of recovery from trauma is a massive question. Carolyn Spring, who's an author, a trainer, and a trauma survivor herself and not a believer, said this. This question, can I recover from my trauma, is something that I think about almost every single day. I'm both enjoying a remarkable degree of recovery compared to where I used to be, and I'm also endlessly, impatiently frustrated that there is so much residue in my life still from trauma. Reactions I wish I didn't have, pain I wish I didn't feel, difficulties in communication and relationships and managing my emotions that I wish I didn't struggle with quite so much. What I need is not the false promise of a quick fix. I need something that will set me on a healing journey every single day, a direction to head in, not a fixed destination that every day I might fail to arrive at. What she is describing, what she's identifying from her own experience and from all her uh, experience in training therapists and and counsellors is that the thing that we see in Psalm 23. I need a shepherd who's going to walk me to still waters and lead me to green pastures and make me lie down and provide a table for me in the presence of my enemies, in the presence of my struggles and my trauma. And she's describing a journey that we are on with young people, that we are not looking for a quick fix. If you came today thinking, oh, I'm going to go and get 45 minutes on trauma, and then bang, I am done. I'm going to see total change in every single young person's life in my youth group because TLG and Livy Gibbs are going to give me the fix on trauma. I'm sorry to let you down, but there is no such thing. But what we are going to help you with is understanding the journey that we are walking on together. And as we get a biblical framework, I want us to think about these three words. I want you to think about God's heart to rescue us, God's heart to restore us, and God's heart to redeem. He rescues us out of darkness and brings us into light. That's how the Bible describes our salvation. He transfers us from the kingdom, the dominion of darkness, and he places us in his son in the light. He rescues. 
He also restores everything. He creates wholeness where there has been brokenness. He brings healing where there has been injury and illness. He brings straightness where there's been crookedness. He takes what has been damaged and destroyed and he redeems it. He buys it back with his own son's blood and he redeems the things that have gone on in our lives, even the things that are traumatic and difficult. So we need to hold intention that, yeah, there is no quick fix and there is a journey and a pathway that we are on as we are helping people who have experienced trauma walk into ever-increasing freedom. But we don't let go of the hope of healing and recovery that we find in the gospel. The Bible says that we live in a frame that is like dust. I mean, like this week is a great week to identify with that experience. Like, yes, Lord, I feel like dust. So we can expect to struggle the whole of our lives. And we can expect to experience physical, psychological and emotional impacts of that struggle the whole of our lives. We can also expect that when we come to the end of our lives... When we enter into a new resurrected body, when we enter into a new uh, kind of completely unhindered revelation of God, we will be totally transformed and there will be complete freedom from every struggle we've ever had with any kind of trauma we've ever experienced. And the same is true for our young people. We should expect the power of the gospel to restore and to redeem and to rescue through our lives. But we should also understand that we are walking on a journey and that the end destination is our glorification ultimately when we finish our living on this earth. And if we can keep that in our framework, I think that will help us to constantly be believing God for rescue and restoration and redemption and to not be surprised at the struggle that we are experiencing as we go along. Let's think for a little minute then about our emotions. So I've got an image for you on the slide here, a dashboard. And I want to just explain that our emotions in the dust-like frame that God has given us, our emotions are like warning signals that tell us what is going on on the inside. And that's what young people's emotions are doing all the time. They are like a, a flashing light or a dial going up and down or a beepy noise or a needle that's moving on some kind of um, target, telling you something about what is going on inside of us. When we were watching that video, my emotions were being touched by a mixture of sadness that two children have lost their father really young, by a mixture of of joy that they're, they're finding hope again and they're finding support in the local church. It's touching my emotions. And of course, what you then see is a few tears coming out of my eyes. Our emotions are like warning signals. And we need to learn to pay attention to our own emotions And we need to learn to pay attention to the emotions of the young people that we're working with. We need to make sure that we don't miss what they're trying to say to us. Emotions are like signals and our behavior or a young person's behavior is like communication. It's like they're trying to tell you something. Everything we all do and everything a teenager does is a way of communicating something that is going on on the inside. Whether it's the voice that they use, the tone that they use, the words that they use, the facial expression, whether it's the impulses that they're experiencing, whether it's the approaches that they take to different situations, whether it's the clothing that they wear or the tattoo that they choose or the hairstyle or the people that they spend time with or what they find relaxing and encouraging or what they try and lose themselves in to distract themselves, all their behavior is telling us something as youth workers the question is are we listening are we listening and are we understanding the language that they are sharing with us what does it look like when a young person's emotions are in distress what does their behavior look like let's look at that for a minute 
Up here on the screen, I've put a slide with a whole range of emotions and behaviors that are an expression of feeling overwhelmed. And the word that we use is dysregulated. So basically up, down, left, right, and all over the place. And what you can see here is that dysregulation gets expressed in really, really contrasting ways. So on the one hand, we've got words like zoned out, when a young person is not really present with you, and it's like they're finding it really hard to engage or focus on anything. Or maybe they're incredibly lethargic. They're unable to get motivated about anything. They feel really dull. Their senses are dull. They feel like they've got no energy. Or they're self-isolating. They're withdrawing. They feel like they need to be away from people, from situations. They're hidden behind clothing or in locked up spaces or withdrawn from all kinds of social situations. At the other end of the scale, you've got expressions of dysregulation that are far more demonstrative, the ones that you notice much quicker because they tend to involve volume and movement. So you might have a young person who's having a panic attack. That means their heartbeat is racing. They're having a real struggle to regulate their breathing. Possibly they're shaking. Their temperature dial is going up and down. It might be that a young person wants to run away, literally physically get away from the space that they're currently in. They may feel like they need to, that they're trapped and they need to escape from that room or that relationship or that place. Or it might be that they've got an inability to calm themselves and therefore they're crying and they just can't stop, like non-stop crying. Sometimes emotional distress, we actually feel it physically in our body. We feel physical pain because of emotional distress. We are holistically made by God, which means our stomachs and our brains and our nervous systems all respond to pain sensors because of emotional distress. We get headaches. We get pains in our neck and our backs. We get stomach cramps. We have, we have experiences of, of illness, actually, because of emotional distress. Or it might be that we feel completely numb in our body. We don't have sensations moving through our body in the way that we'd expect. And actually, for some young people, self-harm is a way of feeling things physically, creating an opportunity to release some of the pent-up frustration and emotional pain through creating physical pain that you can actually feel and control and do something with. So dysregulation and emotional overwhelm is really, really varied. And the reason I want to mention that is because I want us to understand when we're considering how to be trauma-informed, I want us to understand that what is being presented to us is a type of communication. And we need to look past the behavior. We need to identify what the behavior is and we need to look past it. We need to think, what is going on inside this young person right now that is making them feel like this is the way they're behaving? Bearing in mind, they are probably not choosing it at all. It is almost always, it is instinctive and subconscious. I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm just doing it because it's just happening. If you want a really easy example for that, just watch a two-year-old having a tantrum because they can't you know, press the button on the lights when you get to the crossing. And as an adult, you look at that and you think that's entirely irrational. But in that moment, there is distress in that young child and they express it in a tantrum on the pavement. Well, teenagers and young people who've experienced emotional distress don't always know why they are doing what they're doing. And it's our job to be trained and skilled and to understand how do we look past the behavior and understand what's going on on the inside. So the question I want to ask you as part of today, as I'm just raising the lid on this whole subject of being trauma-informed, is are you listening and are you understanding the language that is being spoken in your youth group and in your interactions with young people every day? Are you hearing what they're trying to say to you? Now, I want to just spend a few minutes looking specifically at... Um, 
at trauma that has been identified in childhood through some studies that were done in the late 90s in California called the ACEs study. Just wave your hand if you've ever heard of ACEs. Okay, a, a spatching people, that's great. So ACE, the, st- the, the study was basically um, undertaken to try and understand what impact early childhood experiences had on people's health, mental, psychological and physical health in later life. And the word ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. So these are traumatic events that impact a child or a young person's sense of safety, stability and bonds within the family. And they include all types of abuse and neglect, but they also include what's known as dysfunction in the home. And ACEs can have a negative lasting effect on someone's well-being into their adulthood. So I'm going to show you what the 10 ACEs are here. But I want to just say before I lift this slide up, the, the general understanding from these studies is that at least half the population has experienced one of these ACEs and three quarters of the population will have experienced three or more. So if when this slide comes up on the screen and you read through them, you think that's me, that's me, that's me, please don't feel like we are trying to label you in any way. I have got ACEs on this screen. All of us, or most of us, will have some of them. Here they are. So ACEs are experiencing any kinds of abuse that might be physical, so being hurt, emotional, the way that you're spoken to and treated and your needs not being met, or sexual abuse. ACEs also include neglect, physical neglect, so your need for clothing, warmth, shelter, physical nurture, comfort, and emotional neglect, having a caregiver who's responsive to your needs and understands how to support you. But ACEs also include these five areas of household dysfunction. So that is divorce, growing up in a family where there is divorce or relationship breakdown that leads to separation of parents. Growing up with mental illness in the home. Growing up with substance abuse in the home. Growing up with a relative who's in prison. Someone very close to the family or someone um, in the wider family who is in prison and therefore absent and is involved in, has been involved in criminal activity. And the last one is growing up in a home where there's violence, either against children or, most commonly, against a parent. Now, these 10 identifiable um, adverse childhood experiences have been tracked and monitored, and the impact has been like, researched on how it affects adults in later life when they've experienced ACEs. And I'm going to explain a bit too more to you on this video. My parents don't understand. All the drinking and fighting means I'm scared. I'd like a cuddle, perhaps a bedtime story, but mostly I'd like them to stop shouting at me. And sometimes they hit me. Feeling scared every day and not feeling loved or wanted will change me for the rest of my life. Later, I'll have problems with school, problems with alcohol, and I'll get in trouble with the police. What's happening to me right now means I'm more likely to have serious health problems in middle age and die sooner than I should. Doctors say my life is full of adverse childhood experiences, or aces. But in my world, this means I see my dad hitting my mum. Dad's got a drinking problem, and Mum's always crying, even with the tablet. I'm always being shouted at and hit. 
After the booze and fags, there's not a lot of money for toys or clothes, or even food. I'm getting used to being scared all the time, but now I'm just angry. Doctors say things are changing inside me. My brain isn't learning how to control my feelings properly. My body can't relax like those kids who don't have aces, so my body won't be able to repair itself properly when I get older, making it more likely I'll get cancer or heart disease as an adult. It hurts when my parents hit me, but the real damage is hidden, and that damage will be with me for life. Children who have abusive or otherwise stress-filled childhoods are more likely to develop heart disease, diabetes, cancer and other health and social problems throughout their adult life. I drink and smoke. They say I'm out of control, but I'm not. It's just my way of coping with my aces. I've been in plenty of fights, but what's wrong with that? Kids' punches don't hit half as much as when my dad hits me. I beat up a kid last week at school because he looked at me weird. Who cares? I ended up with more time out of school. Learning's not for me anyway, and the teachers don't care any more than my parents. I don't like the way anyone looks at me except my girl. She's 16 and pregnant, just like my mum was with me. So this is where I've ended up. I've got diabetes and cancer is probably on the way. I know these kill you, but I couldn't do without them. I've never had a proper job and I've spent time inside. I hit my kids. I hit their mam too, until she left. So my kids have grown up with aces. And now my daughter had her first kid. She's 16. The course of my life was set in the wrong direction a long time ago. I know where I'm heading, and sadly, I know where my kids are heading, too. This doesn't have to happen. A little help in childhood makes a big difference to where life takes you. When I was a baby, the nurses noticed that my mum wasn't coping and helped her and explained how important my childhood is to the rest of my life. So, with a bit of help, she coped. The police came round after next door complained about the noise from mum and dad fighting. They asked how I was feeling. I told them I was scared all the time. Mum and dad got help, the shouting got better and the hitting stopped. I even got some bedtime stories. I still had problems at school, but the teacher asked me about what was happening at home. I got help controlling my feelings. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough. I'm now married with two children and I've got a job. Most of the time. I haven't repeated the same problems with my kids. We got help when being a parent got too much. Our children are ace-free, and that means their kids stand a good chance of growing up ace-free as well. Almost half the people in England and Wales experienced one ace as a child, and one in ten of us suffered four or more aces. If we stop aces, millions of children would not become smokers or binge drinkers and levels of violence in adults would be cut in half. Fewer aces in childhood also means fewer adults developing diseases like cancer, heart disease and diabetes in middle age. We all need to be ace aware. Are you? Doctors, police, nurses, teachers, firefighters and most importantly parents. The more you know about aces, the more you can help stop children growing up with aces in their lives. 
And for those of you who have already suffered ACEs, the more you know, the more you can help yourself and others who have suffered ACEs cope. So what you see there is um, potentially quite a bleak description of ACEs. The first half of that video really offends me because it describes the trajectory of that young lad's life as inevitable. But the second half of that video brings some hope. And bearing in mind, this is a video that's been produced outside of a Christian framework, understanding that interventions in a child's life, in a teenager's life, and in a young adult's life can make a difference to their experience as they grow up with ACEs. And I want to lay on top of that an understanding of the gospel that we started with, that God is able to deal with and bring healing and restoration and redemption to us when we have grown up with ACEs. And therefore, it is not inevitable, like he actually said on the video, it's not inevitable that the outcome is set by early childhood experiences. But actually, there are, it doesn't have to be like this. There are things that we can do that as the church, and there are things that God wants to do through us in young people's lives to change the trajectory of their experience of trauma and to change the outcome as a result. And ACEs affect the formation of healthy relational bonds. So all of those adverse childhood experiences, what they have in common is that in some way or other, they break what should be a healthy, strong, safe bond for a child. And instead, they create a disruption to that and they damage that. And it's that relational trauma that a young person then carries with them into their lives. And the wonderful thing for us to remember is that our God is a God who comes to heal relational trauma. It's in his very nature. The way that he deals with us is we are cut off and separated and he adopts us into his family. He makes us his children. He draws us into a healthy relationship with a primary caregiver, that's him, and he loves us through all of our struggles and difficulties and his, his healing for us heals our relationship with him and enables our relationships with other people to be healed too. It's widely understood in, in sort of psychological and psychotherapy worlds that the way to respond to relationship trauma is to look for the healing that comes through relationship. So it's almost like science is catching up and research with God's design, which is that relationship is the way that early childhood trauma and young people's trauma is healed and is recovered from. When you're relational with a young person, you are present with them. That means you are seeing them. You're saying you're not on your own. I'm with you. That is incredibly powerful. When you're relational with a young person, you are patient with them. You recognize that you are on a journey. You are not expecting a quick fix. You are not expecting a sudden change. You're saying to them, I'm here, and if this takes time, I've got time. That's incredibly powerful. When you are relational with a young person, you are persevering with them. That means you go through setbacks and disappointments and discouragements and delays and lots of other things that begin with D that are hard and difficult. It means that you keep going. It means that you keep believing even when they aren't believing. It means that you turn up. You're present. You're patient. You're persevering. And what that brings for that young person is help. It brings healing and it brings hope. Sometimes their own hope is so tiny, it's almost invisible or gone. But your presence with them, your patience with them, your loving concern for them brings hope to them. It's like you're speaking over them hope for a different tomorrow, hope for a preferable future, hope for change, hope that their past doesn't have to define what is ahead of them, hope for freedom, hope for something better ahead 
than what they've lived through thus far. And that is what you are doing every day in your youth work. And I want to commend you for being present and being patient and being persevering because these things are massively powerful. And I want to remind you that the biggest power of all that you have when you're thinking about being trauma-informed is this one, and that is prayer. There is literally nothing more effective or impacting on a young person's life than you praying for them. I'm going to say that again. There is nothing more effective or impacting that you can do for a young person than pray for them. Prayer is inviting supernatural power instead of depending on natural power. Prayer is saying God can do what we cannot do. God has the ability to do what is beyond my ability. Prayer is saying that God can reach into someone's heart and reach into their mind and deliver them from spiritual oppression that I can't touch. Prayer is saying that God can bring a change of perspective that I can't bring. God can bring revelation that I can't teach. God can bring, can speak words that don't come out of my mouth. They can hear truth because of God. Prayer is basically saying that he's the deliverer, that he's the savior, that he's the rescuer that he's the redeemer, that he's the restorer. Prayer is actually deeply therapeutic for yourself to take you out of the place of feeling like it rests on you to bring help and hope and healing to this young person. What you say when you are praying is essentially, I can't do this, God, but you can. So when you're considering a young person's life that is full of trauma, that is complex, that is heartbreaking at times, please don't. Respond to it without remembering the power of your prayers. It's tempting, I think, for us to look for every other solution and then think we'll bolt prayer on the end, like as a kind of cherry on the cake. But I tell you, God's heart is that we would partner with him in prayer for young people so that his power would come into their lives. He loves young people. He loves trauma sufferers. He loves trauma survivors. And his intention is for many to be healed from trauma. And he's inviting us as youth leaders, as church leaders, as teachers, as social workers, as caring professionals, as counselors, as mums and dads to be involved in the journey by praying. One of the amazing things about prayer like I said, is that there is therapy for yourself. If you're anything like me, you might be tempted to walk around life carrying an enormous backpack of woes and cares and concerns for the well-being of young people in your life. You might feel like you load it up through every day, through every week, and it's so heavy to carry. Prayer for young people who have suffered trauma is like emptying your backpack and saying to God, I think all I can manage is a little day rucksack with a water bottle. And God says, that's all I'm asking you to carry. And prayer is the place that you get rid of your big, heavy pack of burden and weight and responsibility that is beyond you and things that you can't fix and things you can't undo and things you can't change. And prayer is the place that you empty all of that out on the floor and you leave it there and you walk out with a small rucksack with a water bottle that will do you for today. That's what God has called us to when we're understanding our role in helping young people and being trauma-informed. Now, I want to invite Wayne to come and share with us for a few minutes because Wayne has got lots of experience in working in youth work, um, but he's also got experience in working in the kind of professional services around um, trauma response to young people. So can you welcome Wayne? 
Okay, Wayne, tell us a little, I'm going to pass the mic, but tell us a little bit about your journey in terms of um, how you, what your experience was in serving young people who were impacted by trauma when you were involved in youth work. Hi everyone, um, good to good to be here. So, so I've been a youth worker for 23 years. Um, now I got saved when I was 19 um, from a whole history of trauma myself. So out of the aces, I had all 10, 10 out of 10. You don't want to get that in uh, most tests, but but yeah. So every single one of those, I was like, yep. That, that was me, so lots of trauma, sexual abuse, uh, parents divorce, uh, drugs in the family, parent that had been in prison, li- literally the, the whole lot, a whole load of ne- neglect and um, uh, in my upbringing and just got very messy in my teenage years, um, so because of the experiences that then played out in me being addicted to drugs, me confused with my identity, my sexuality, then kind of spilling that out into experimenting literally all over the place and getting myself into all kinds of of difficult and messy situations to the point of having a child in year nine and and having to kind of live out the consequence of of that. Wasn't brought up in a Christian home or a family, didn't know anything of, of who Jesus was and was just drowning in my trauma and drowning in my mess. At 18, I uh, started to connect with a church and uh, people who started to talk to me about Jesus and who Jesus was and just the hope of the gospel. And through relationship with Christians, I was then introduced to Jesus, found him. He broke into my life. He gave me hope. He gave me security. Brought peace into situations I never thought I would find peace in and gave me a hope and a plan for my future. Uh, quite quickly on, I had a real heart for young people. So at um, the age of 19, started doing youth work in local church and uh, was a, a youth worker for, for, for many years, probably for about 20 years I've, I've done church youth work. And, um, and alongside that, so working with young people through church, but also working in schools um, in a mentoring capacity, just with a real heart for young people to, to, uh, to just... I didn't have anyone alongside me um, in the situations that I was facing. And when I suddenly came into church, I went, wow, these people care. These people have got peace. These people have got love. I can now have that for myself, but also I want others that are experiencing some of the stuff that I went through to find that for, for themselves. So throughout kind of the years as a youth leader, I've just looked to, to one, receive my own restoration from stuff that happened in my life, <clears throat> but then also have faith for others to find restoration and uh, find hope as well. So through, through youth work, just loving people, caring for people, seeing, um, just being present with, with young people in their mess, but also in schools looking to go and mentor particularly young lads that, um, that are just in broken situations, broken families, coming alongside them, building relationship, just being present, being someone to help them process, talk, to work through some of the mess that they're, they're in and to see God do incredible stuff with that. Brilliant. It's so powerful hearing you share, like the journey that you went on personally and in your kind of church youth and school youth ministries. Um, how have things changed in the last few years in terms of your, under- your development, in terms of particularly learning about being trauma-informed and the skills that you developed and the roles that you're now playing? So, um, so a few years ago, <coughs> felt like I was, I'd start to come out of um, being a church youth leader and um, figuring out what next. So I went and trained as a counsellor. So I did a degree in counselling and psychotherapy. And uh, for the last year and a half, I've been working as a school counsellor counselor in a local secondary school. And uh, that's been incredible. Um, obviously, an environment where you can't overtly talk about the gospel and the good, good news of Jesus. But suddenly having language to function in a secular world, but actually realising that, that 
God has brought hope into my life, love into my life, um, faith into my life for freedom. And actually, I want to go and be present with, with young people in that. So just I think I've learned an understanding of of some of the secular understanding of what's going on. But actually what I've realized is is a lot of kind of counselors, psychiatrists, like when I was a youth leader, I thought these guys were the professionals. They knew how to fix everything. And I realized that that the world actually is a bit lost in all this stuff with mental health, like like psychiatrists, social workers, counselors, GPs are all going, actually, we can give coping strategies. And coping strategies can be good and they can help in moments and we, we will all use those all the time. But actually, beyond that, they, they, there is a, a, a bit of hopelessness of, of where this is going. I think Livy's brought that, brought that out. So what I've kind of learned is actually how do I bring my faith into a secular environment where I can bring something of Jesus into like where I can't always talk about Jesus, but actually I can pray. I, can, like, I had a, one lad literally cutting himself every day, like slicing his arms, slicing his legs. He'd... Um, He'd had a year of literally daily, every day um, self-harm, not really kind of talked to anyone about it and stuff. I picked him up, started journeying with him. And um, for the first three months, he was like, I don't want to change. This is, this is the way that I cope with life. And we just got to know each other. We just built a relationship, just chatted, just was present with him. He started opening up, started to trust me. And, um, and I was just thinking, there's not been a breakthrough. And then I was like, Jesus, I just need to pry. I need to come. So I crying out to God for him. And suddenly he went... Just then, like, literally cried out for God for him that week. That's that next session. He said, Wayne, I think I want to change this now. And I was like, Wow, like, 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 God, you've just come in and done something there. And and then the next week, he came back. He said, Okay, I've just, I've just done five days free of self harm. And then we went on. He's like, I've done a hundred days free of self harm. He's like, Actually, I wanted to give up on education. I just didn't care about anything. He says, I now want to sign up to this course. I want to do this and stuff. Just didn't share the gospel with him, but I just prayed for him every time. Actually, in a secular environment, I saw God at work, suddenly bringing restoration, getting him to a place. I don't know where that will go beyond believe that God had started a work in him, that maybe God needed to get him to a place where God would then bring other people or other situations, or maybe in a different context, I'll be able to speak into that. So, so yeah, so learning language, but just seeing the importance. Like what Livy's saying, like it is relationship, ultimately, like God brings us into community and in community with and relationship with him and others, we outwork our mess. And actually, as professionals, if you're in a professional context, you can, you can bring the, the love of God into the lives of, of people. So I've, I'm learning that and stuff. So, yeah. Thank you, Wayne. That's really helpful. Let's thank Wayne for coming and share that. So we've reached half past 12 and um, I, did, I had planned for us to spend a little bit of time in quiet reflection and stillness using um, a slightly different version of Psalm 23 which is read like as a poem um, but I'm aware that a lot of you have probably got things you need to get back to on your site so I'm going to hold that. Um, I'll, if you want to come and ask for that slide I can share that with you but what I do want to do before we wrap up is I, I just want to let you know how we can support you very practically um, in TLG. So what you've heard this morning is not trauma-informed training. Um, it's way too brief what I've done. I've literally just like skimmed across the tops of the subjects to kind of open your eyes to things and thrown out stuff to get you thinking. Um, but we do offer trauma-informed training um, at TLG that you can access for free as a youth group um, and as youth leaders and in your churches. And we also offer training in terms of what we call the emotional roller coaster, which is is helping you as um, 
as, as leaders to understand the emotional roller coaster of life um, for yourself, but also then creating a whole load of resources and structured sessions for one-to-ones or group work where you can work through issues of emotional well-being with young people. So you might want to... Uh, use some of that material in your youth group settings or you may want to use it in mentoring relationships or discipleship or you may just want to actually come on the training as a team just to upskill yourself and understand more about emotional well-being. Um, we can also offer you for free today a, um, a PDF of what we call the Emotional First Aid Journal, which is a lovely book. Um, we've got a printed out version of it on the depot that you can come and have a look at if you want to see the paper version. Um, but on the table over by Bex, we have got um, a QR code that you can scan on your phone and you can download that for free. Um, it's a journal designed for teenagers. It's, it, the graphics are all kind of red and black, so it's super gender neutral. Um, and it's accessible for them to understand their own emotional wiring, like what is their stress style? What takes them up the stress style how can they bring it down what does dysregulation look like for them and it gives them language and examples and techniques and strategies of handling and regulating their own emotions they can work on it on their own they can work with it through it with you there's a seven day check-in as part of that journal that they can use if that's helpful and we wanted to put that into your hands as a charity to upskill you Um, we would also love for you to consider whether or not one of um, the things that we offer in TLG would be good for your church in terms of early intervention program in schools um, in terms of therapeutic resources that we um, have produced that you might want to access and like Beck said earlier if you're interested in finding out more about education centers and what they look like Um, or how we run Make Lunch as a holiday club for children and families. We'd love to talk to you more about those things. Um, Just as we close, I'm going to pray for us because I know we've touched on um, some pretty big stuff this morning and I'm aware that over this week some pretty big stuff has come out in meetings um, and that it's kind of raw. But I'm really pleased that you guys are here and that you're kind of opening yourselves up to this area and saying to God, you know, help me, I want to learn, I want to grow in this. So um, let's just ask for his presence upon us right now. Holy Spirit, we just are so um, grateful that you are the best therapist in the world ever, Um, that you totally understand how we are made, that you totally understand our inner being, that you know our thoughts from afar, that you discern all of our ways. I thank you that nothing is hidden from you, God. I thank you that you see everything we've walked through in our lives. You see the things that we are happy to talk about and the things that we find really difficult to bring out. I thank you that you know everybody's experiences here and you know our hearts. Lord Jesus, you are so good as a shepherd to us and you are so good as a shepherd to young people. And we want to put our trust in you today for ourselves and for our well-being, but also we want to put our trust in you for the young people that we care about. We want to pass them over to you, good shepherd, and we want to say, look at this sheep, and please, would you come and intervene in this sheep's life? Would you come and bind up the wounds? Would you come and bring them out of the thistles and the thorns? Would you come and set them on the pathway of righteousness that leads to still waters and green pastures? Would you lay a table for them in the presence of their enemies, God, as they are living with the impact of trauma? Would you feed them? Would you fill their cup? Would you anoint their head with oil? And for those who are in the valley of the shadow right now, would you be with them? Would they feel the rod and the staff that you bring to comfort them? And if that's us today, Lord God, would you be present with us? Holy Spirit, we thank you for all of these youth leaders and and social workers and parents and teachers and healthcare professionals and others in the room. We thank you that 
You are teaching your church how to be good news, how to be salt and light, how to be a healing balm, how to be the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff and the fence at the top. Father, we pray would you keep taking us on this journey and help us to walk with you expectant of your hope and your healing and your future for young people. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. Um, I'm text. I'm going to hand over to you, right?